We are in uh, Judges 4. We're going to be talking about two people in Judges 4, uh, Deborah. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about a couple of people in Judges 4. There's a guy named Sisera, there's Deborah, there's Bar uh, Barak, um, just a few different people in there. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I need you. Uh, we all need you. Lord, I admit that I need you every hour. Lord, thank you for this new year that we're in. We need you in this year. Lord, we need you every day. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak through me, through your word, Lord, that we wouldn't uh, be people who look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we look like, as it says in the book of James, but that we would be hearers of your word, looking in the mirror of your word, and then that we would do something to change that. Lord, that we would follow in obedience in what you tell us to do in your word. And Lord, we just thank you, and we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So, um, yeah, Judges chapter 4. And um, so, like I said, there's a, there's a couple of different characters in this. And uh, if you guys remember last week, we were talking about a guy named Ehud, right? He was left-handed. Uh, some scholars believe that the way the Hebrew puts it is because his right hand was almost useless. So he could have been, uh, you know, he used his left hand because his right didn't really work. But we also know from his tribe um, that Benjamin had a whole uh, platoon of special soldiers that could sling the stone with both hands. And we talked about slinging the stone a little bit. Um, so it's a, it was a weapon, the way that they used the sling. They would swing that stone and let it out. And I've actually watched videos of guys that are good at it these days. And uh, I was telling Claire, and I might have mentioned it last week, but I watched this guy doing it. He was slinging a stone, and he was piercing metal with his stone. He was just like, you know, out in a desert place, and, you know, he's on his Instagram page. I don't know what they call him, Sloan, you know, stone slinger. I don't know. <laughs> but just be careful. You don't want to, you know, follow any drug dealers or anything like that. <laughs> so um, those guys would be rock slingers. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, so this guy is slinging stones, piercing steel with it. And it, it, told, it tells us that um, the, the Benjaminites had a whole platoon hundreds of soldiers that could sling the stone with their left hand, and, and some translations say both hands. They could switch it up, which was very, very strange. But it says they were elite soldiers, and they could do that. And it says that they could get within a mark, within a hair's breadth. That means they were marksmen with slinging a stone, okay? Um, so then after Ehud, there was a Shamgar for real quick. But what we find is in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So like I told you a couple of weeks ago, this like sick uh, cycle, this cyclic um, type of Sinning, coming back to the Lord, sinning, coming back to the Lord, sinning, coming back to the Lord. We may look at it and say, these guys are idiots. But that's because we aren't looking at our own lives. 
sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we're like, yeah, Lord, I'm strong in you. I trust you. I trust you. And then we don't trust him. And then I trust you. I trust you. And then we don't trust him. Next trial. Or we're like, yeah, Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then we fall back into sin. And then we're back with the Lord and then back into sin. And we cry out and we're back with the Lord and back into sin. And we have to check our own lives, me included, right? I'm not just sitting here pointing the finger at you. I, too, breathe air like you. I, too, bleed red blood like you, okay? I am human. So I understand these struggles. So after Ehud's death, and the one thing that we find with Ehud's death is it gave them 80 years of peace. 80 years. That is the longest time of peace during the judges that they will ever see. 80 years. So after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor. Remember what I said. When we are the Lord's children and we are sinning against him, guess what our good father will do? Just let it be. What's a good father do? Does anybody know? You can, you can yell it out. What's a good father do if he sees his children failing and heading towards death? What's a good father do? Correct, right? He disciplines. He corrects. He trains. And he shows them how to live a life so that they can mature. Right? Remember what I, I, I kind of, I was explaining to my daughters uh, the, the saying that I've heard and that I normally say is, you know, love without truth is a lie. It's a lie. And truth without love is brutality. So Jesus tells us in the New Testament and Paul and John and everybody that we must somehow mix truth with the love of the Lord when we come to deliver it. So I was explaining it to my nephew like this. I said, which way would you rather accept a gift? If somebody comes humbly and hands you the gift, and they say, here, this is for you. Or if somebody comes and they say, yo, I got a gift for you, and they take that box out and smash it in your face, throw you down on the ground, put it on your chest, and then just jump on you a couple times, and then say, the gift is for you. And then they walk away. Which way would you rather accept a gift? Right? And, they, and then they could, they could honestly like justify themselves. It's like, I brought them the gift. You know? They got it. I left it on their chest. Yeah, they're having trouble breathing, but that's their own problem. Right? Their face is bloody, but, you know, if you see me coming around, you should put a mask on. Like an iron mask. Not one of them COVID masks. All right? An iron mask. That's not love, is it? And you wouldn't be worried about the gift. You'd be worrying about, why did that person just do that? So in certain ways, when we're delivering things for the Lord, we need to watch the way we do it. Just like Proverbs says, words fitly spoken are as apples of gold on a silver platter. That's the type of gift I want, right? Come bring me some of them gold apples on silver platters. And that's the way you would like it too. But we know that harsh words can bring up contention. 
So the, then the Lord clears it up for us. Hey, truth with love. Truth with love. So that's the brutality part. The other part is a lie, right? Love without truth is a lie. Because as a father, if I see my child heading towards death, like towards an, uh, an intersection that is full of cars zooming back and forth, and, and I see them, they're about to step out there, and I say nothing because I love them. I don't want their feelings to be hurt. You know, if I'm like, you know, my youngest is Josephine. If I'm like, Josephine! And she turns around and she's like, <laughs> you yelled at me, right? And then I could say, ooh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Really, I don't want to hurt, I don't want there to be a problem with me, right? That's really, it's a selfish thing. But if I see my child heading towards, or someone that has been put in my care, heading towards a cliff, and I'm like, stop. You need to stop. Right? So, truth needs to be intermixed into that love. Right? Love without truth is a lie. I don't truly love them, do I? If the Lord didn't do anything for them, they weren't truly his children. And it's the same for you and me. Remember what the scripture says, that if we are disciplined, don't lose heart. If you're going through a hard time, don't lose heart. For the Lord only disciplines for a while, and he disciplines his legitimate children. Right? So what's the scripture telling us? Hey, hear what he's saying, walk the right way, and pick your head up. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. So then after Ehud's death, Israel again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. So we're going to find out Sisera is the real problem. Sisera's this general out there. He's a captain. And man, he's got, he's got like the dream team with him, right? We're going to see what Sisera has. So his army, his commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Horsheth, Higoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots. Okay, the Israelites had none. They had none hundred. Nothing. They had no chariots. And the Lord actually liked it that way. Why? Because he says, I will show you my might. You don't need their weapons. I'm going to show you who I am. The Lord wanted to show them that he was king of kings. You know, today, um, just before, there's a song that we sang, sovereign, sovereign. And we, we kind of know that word, right? Because that's the monarch, right? But like the word means super reign, right? In the old English, super reign. It means there is no one above. They are king or queen. When we say that God is sovereign, it means there is no one above him to tell him what to do, and no one can stop what he's doing. The Lord constantly tells us in scripture that it says it is futile. It means it is useless to try to stop what God is doing. No one can stop him. The devil even knows he can mess around, but the Lord's like, don't worry about it. I got this. Don't worry about it. Sometimes we look out on this world and we, we start to fret. 
because we forget who is the one that has the super reign. The sovereign of all days. I mean, there are so many things in scripture that tell you how powerful God is and we miss it. John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, his roots are from before me. Did you know that Jesus was younger than John the Baptist? And everybody's sitting there thinking, John, if we put this together right, you're saying Jesus came before you, but he's born after you. John was talking about his eternal being. And he says, his sandals, some translations put it as, his sandals I can't even carry. I'm not worthy. I can't even lace up his Nikes. I can't do it. I'm not worthy to touch him. I'm not worthy to be his servant. That's what John is saying about his little cousin, who's actually the ancient of days in human form. That's how powerful he is. We also find out in Colossians, and we, I talk about this often because I love this part of Colossians where it says that through Jesus Christ, all things were made. All things were made through him and for him. Like it caused him joy for things to be made, for you to be born, for us to be here. And then you find out if he loved us that much, that's why he came for our rescue. That's why he said, I'll die for them. I'll shed God blood for them. Eternal blood for them. Once and for all. Sisera had 900 iron chariots. He ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So Sisera loved it. He loved oppressing the Israelites. I mean, he enjoyed it. It said he ruthlessly oppressed them. You guys remember um, when the Israelites were in Egypt and all of a sudden the new Pharaoh comes into play and the new Pharaoh starts making their labor even harder? And he's like, I'm not even, I want you to make more bricks than you've been required to make, but I'm not even going to supply you. Because I love killing you. I love it. That's what he was like. And the Lord heard their cries. Then the people of Israel cried out, to the Lord for help. And we've already established that in none of this do we see that they repented. They just cried out for help. And how good the Lord is to come and rescue them. But we also see something. In this cycle, they are just crying out for help. They are just saying, relieve my pain. Relieve my pain. And the Lord says, okay, I'll relieve your pain. They are not saying, Lord, I think this sin is because of me. I think these problems are here because, because of me and because of my people. Uh, can you change me? Can you help me to stop sinning? Help me to walk with you? Lord, can you make me a blessing to you? 
Lord, can you, can you relieve me of my sin problem so that I can actually serve you and walk with you? Lord, I want to be more like you. Do we see that prayer here? No, their only prayer is relieve my pain. How often do we pray that? Dare I say we all pray that, right? Lord, just relieve my pain. Whatever is bothering me, whatever is hindering me, relieve it. And that's where my prayer life goes. That's as far as I take it. But I don't say, Lord, change me. Make me into who you want me to be. Lord, make me into someone who makes you smile. Someone who pleases your heart. Someone who lives according to your word and glorifies you every day, even if the pain persists. Even if the darkness doesn't go away. Change me. Because if they would have prayed that, I think the Lord would have done it. But they weren't mature enough, right? They were still little babies. They were still little babies. Dare I say that maturity in prayer isn't just us praying for ourselves, for our physical needs, and us praying for others' physical needs, but us beginning to pray that the Lord would use us and change us and live his life through us. Like Paul would say, it is not I who live, but Christ in me. Christ in me. It's probably going to be one of the most difficult things we've ever faced in our lives, right? To die to ourselves, to our wants, to say, Lord, you first. You first. And then when we can trust him in that, then the Lord says, I will give you the desires of your heart. I will give you what you need. Right? I read it to my daughters last night. We were reading it in the Bible plan. It's uh, Matthew 6. And I remember reading this ending part of Matthew 6, and it shook my world. Right? Because I grew up in a place where there was need at times. Right? I've told you before, I grew up, um, my daddy, he had a good job. He actually had a very good job. But, but my daddy didn't always make right decisions with money. So that affected all nine of us in the household, right? I was too little to work. Some of you are like, well, why is that your daddy's fault? Well, you know, I would have gotten a job at nine years old, but nobody was hiring, you know, in New York City. Anybody hiring, paying money, you know, I probably could have been some part of gangs or something like that. But, you know, not with my mama around. She would have whooped me. <laughs> But what I saw was need, right? I saw need because there were times, and this, I think this was the hardest part for me to get. There were times where we lived really, really good, luxurious at times. And then there were times where my daddy made bad decisions and everything was gone. I didn't have the nicest mobile phone anymore. I didn't have the nicest clothes. And I was living in need. I had a mother that loved me, and she worked hard to try to provide for us in New York City. 
And there were times where my daddy just left and he was gone. One of those times lasted about two years. He was gone. I was about 13 years old, you know, 13, 14 years old. And I did go out to work at that time. And I, I tried to help out, but man, it's not enough money, not for adult bills. You know, it's enough money for children bills, but not adult bills like rent. We lived in a house in New York City. I didn't live in, an, in a flat or an apartment. I lived in a house. And the house we lived in at the time was a five, six bedroom house. So I lived in a nice house, right? You think anything I made as a 14 year old could pay that rent? I don't think so, right? Electricity. At that time, we had oil, so the oil delivery would come. You ever see an oil delivery? That's thousands, right? We had like something like a 250-gallon tank. Divide that by four, and that's how many liters you have. Or times it by four, and that's how many liters you have. Anyway, so I digress. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. But maturity comes when we start saying, hey, Lord, I see my situation. Change me. Change me to be more, to be more than a conqueror in my situation. Right? Don't just relieve the pain. I don't need a plaster. I need you to make me in who you want me to be. I need you to change me. And yes, if it's your will that I would be able to help out in this pain. But even if that isn't your will, that I could keep walking with you, talking to you, having joy in you, and encouraging those around me to walk with you. Change me, right? So then we, we meet this next. So we met two people, right? There's a Canaanite king, and he's got some ruthless general out there on the field. He's got 900 chariots. I mean, he's, he's pretty good. He is a force to be reckoned with. And if you remember, these Canaanite kings were, um, were kings of city-states, right? But it seems like this guy, Jabin of Hazar, had such a strong army, he was probably the, the head king of, of a, a federation of kings, right? They were all allies. And it seems like Jabin was the head king because he had Sisera, the guy who could roll over anybody, who enjoyed being out there on the field and crushing people. He enjoyed it, right? Deborah, the wife of Lipidoth. Now, this is quite strange right now, what we're going to read. It's not normal. It's not le like the norm, okay? What we're going to read is a, of a woman that there's not usually a woman in this position, okay? So we're going to read of Deborah. Deborah, the wife of Lipidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. It wasn't her husband judging Israel at the time. It was her now, in a sense, it would have been a little embarrassing for the Israelites to admit that they had to go to a woman to go find out what God was saying. But God was pleased in it. The Lord was pleased in it. He was talking to her. Okay? Now, the other thing that we find is, even though it was embarrassing for them, it's probably exactly what they needed. 
It's exactly what they needed, right? Now, um, I, people would say I'm a conservative Bible teacher, right? I am. I'm, I'm a conservative Bible teacher in, in some respects, right? When God says he did something, I believe God, all right? I believe God's word. I believe that if you find something wrong with God's word, the problem is probably you and not God's word. Okay? That's, that's what I believe. Okay? And if you want to fist fight about it afterwards, you can fist fight the, the security team, not me. All right? I'm not into fist fighting. We can talk about it. You know? Um, but this is something that I've seen in my life and that I believe from God's word is this. God can use women mightily. He can use women mightily. Okay? Like there are some guys out there that don't believe that. You ain't never met my mother. <laughs> All right? But then at the same time, it seemed like Israel needed a mother at this time because they were going to act like children. They were going to keep going through this cycle of sin, cycle of sin. So what did they need? They needed a mother to tell them exactly what they needed to do, right? You know a guy's not going to do that. He's going to be like, well, if they're going to sin, then let them die in their sins. But Deborah cared for them. Deborah spoke to them. And then we see these things about Deborah. Deborah was a wife. She was actually married to somebody. But we don't see here that she lorded her position over her husband, right? God speaks to me. Labadoth. Go do the dishes. <laughs> I'm the prophet around here, right? I've seen plenty of men do that. It doesn't show us Deborah did that, right? Deborah wasn't sitting there, hey, listen, Labadoth, I don't know where you got your name, <laughs> but your mama's stupid, right? Deborah wasn't talking to him like that. She was, you know, she was a wife. Labadoth hadn't left. He wasn't like, oh, I can't bear this woman anymore. Right? She wasn't telling him to run along, go get me a sandwich. It seems like she was still a respectful woman. Where do I get that from? Well, you see, we'll see in a minute how she speaks to Barak, one of Israel's captains. We'll see how she speaks to him. And then from that, from that um, conversation, I could see that she is a respectful woman. Right? Because her position would have been over Barak's. She could have said, God speaks to me, not you, dummy. Right? Go do as I said. Run along now. Right? She didn't lord it over him. She actually shows us what, what the Lord shows us in the New Testament. That when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says, listen, between you guys, it's not going to be like the Gentiles. The Gentiles lord their position over others. But with you as my children, the greatest among you will be the servant of all, right? That means if you've been given a high position, you're there to serve everybody. You're there to serve everybody. That's, that's tough, right? Because then I need Jesus. And we need Jesus to help us to be people that serve the Lord. That serve him. And if you're given position, that means that you're there to serve. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's totally different from how this world runs, right? 
And we see Deborah living that out. So Deborah, um, the other thing that we find is if Deborah had this position, so it says Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So she knew, they knew God's wisdom was in this woman and that she could judge according to God's will. They knew that God spoke to her. Deborah was willing and a willing servant of the Lord. But to be a prophet and a judge means that she was seasoned in being obedient to the Lord. She didn't just start that day. She didn't just come out of nowhere and be like, you know what? I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to be a prophet and a judge. This had to be something that started long ago when nobody knew her. And she said to herself, Lord, I will only listen to your voice. I will only do as you say. I am obedient to you. And it must seem that Lapidoth liked that, right? He stuck around. I mean, one day we'll be able to interview him. How did you do it, bro? When your wife was CEO and you were nothing, you were just a name on a page. How did you do it? But I, I find that this dyma dynamic is actually pretty cool. Now, I do believe that the role of a mother is very important, especially in the Christian walk. I believe that because of experience, and I believe that because of what God's word says. That the role of mother is the one that strengthens her children to grow up and know God's truth. And if the mother is not strong in knowing God's word, the house can be shaken, right? Because we hear from Paul that there are swindlers in spiritual things, and they go to weak-willed women, and they break up the household. And from there, they can gain access to the whole household. So if you are a mother or you want to be a mother, you got to be strong in the Lord if you want to walk with Jesus. You are the doorkeeper in your household. You're the doorkeeper. I'm not saying men aren't important. They are also important. You know, I see some single mothers, single fathers, and I think to myself, I wouldn't want that job. I'm glad my wife's with me. Because sometimes, man, I just need somebody to speak wisdom to me. Like, you know, I'm ready to throw my child out the door and say, <laughs> go find another house. <laughs> I say that jokingly. I've never done that before. Though I am tempted. <laughs> but praise the Lord that he actually made it so that it's a unit. Two people bringing up children. I've, I believe the father has a special role too, Right? One of the main things on the outside that a father does is he helps children to understand authority. Because if you walk into this world and you do not understand authority, you will be locked up for many years. If you do not understand authority, you will, you will suffer consequences in this life that you could have you know, gotten past by just understanding authority, right? A lot of young men die 
because they do not understand authority. They think no one is above them. And then we go back to God's word where, where Paul tells Titus, and he says, Titus, there is the one thing that you need to teach the young men. Teach them self-control. There's something that authority does for everyone, and it helps them to learn how to control themselves. Okay? Because first, you got that, that outward authority, that outward control, which is teaching you to be someone who controls yourself. Someone who says, like, listen, I got decisions in front of me. There's one that's going to bring me a lot of pleasure, but I can foresee that it's going to bring me pain after that pleasure. And there's a decision that tells me to be patient, and then maybe, maybe good things will come after that, right? And you need self-control to make those decisions. To say, I'm not going to shoot for quick instantaneous pleasure, I'm going to shoot for a better outcome. I'm going to shoot for a better decision that will benefit me and others around me, right? That you need self-control, but you need it to be taught that by authority, that what self-control is. So Deborah, the wife of Lavadoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So as we, as we said, um, this, this is not new to her. She has been obedient to the Lord. The Lord saw her. She was faithful, so he chose her. Okay? One day, she sent for Barak, son of uh, Abinom, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to, Kishon, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. So this, so the Lord has spoken to Deborah. Deborah is speaking to Barak. Barak. Barak's name means lightning, right? I mean, if you're a commander of, of the army and your name's lightning, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Go call General Lightning. <laughs> Captain Lightning, right? Sounds like a superhero. So we expect superhero things from Barak, right? My man's name is Lightning, <laughs> And he comes up, and Deborah's like, listen, the Lord's going to give you victory. He wants you to kill Sisera and get rid of the people who oppress you. That's what he's got for you, Barak. And listen to what Barak says. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. He's not so lightning, is he? <laughs> he's like, I will go, but mummy, you got to hold my hand. Honestly, like when I was four years old, that was me, all right? I was getting sent to reception, kindergarten. My family knows this, right? I, was, I had to go to the bus stop. My mother walked me to the bus stop. This was the first week of reception. She walked me to the bus stop. The big American yellow bus came, and she told me, get on the bus, and I said, no. I did not understand what reception was about. I was like, I've been a good kid. <laughs> I've been good. Why are you getting rid of me? I'll stay at home. I'll sweep. I don't want you to send me away on this big cheese bus. 
<laughs> you know, I was like, no, I'm not going. And, but I wasn't like, like all like, nah, ma, I ain't going, right? I'm four years old. Man, I'm bawling my eyes out. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, no, don't send me, no, no. Did you know my mother rode on the bus with me all the way to school for a week? Because I wouldn't get on. Only if you go with me. And then she had to release me at the door. She walked into my classroom with me, introduced me to the teacher. Her name was Mrs. Elkin. <laughs> I still remember her. You know, I saw her years later, old Botoxed up. <laughs> I gotta be honest. <laughs> saw her years later, Mrs. Elkin, right? And Mrs. Elkin was very kind to me. And she said two things to my mother about me. She says, tell David that he can speak in class. There, you know, I didn't talk. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where you sent me, mama. I'm just going to stay quiet, sit in the corner, and hopefully I'll disappear. <laughs> right? It didn't work. <laughs> I, I stayed there all year. Right? And the other thing she said about me, David really likes nap time, and sometimes he doesn't wake back up. <laughs> which is what my wife will still tell about nap time. <laughs> I love nap time, man. Anyway, I didn't want to go. I'm, I, I understand Barack, right? No, no, I'm good where, like, I run. But now you want me to face the big bad guy? I'm good. I'm OK. I'm OK. Like, like Moses, send anybody else, <laughs> anybody. Right? But as we get older, we should understand that the Lord cares for us. That when he sends us to go do something, he won't leave us alone. But sometimes we want human company. Right? But there are times where the Lord says, I'm sending you alone to strengthen you. So that you know that I'm with you. I am with you. Right? What did the Lord tell Joshua over and over again? He didn't tell him, Joshua, don't worry, I'm going to send some help. I could see you a bit scared. He says, Joshua, did I not send you? I am with you. Be strong and courageous. In who? In the Lord. Be so sure of the one that sent you that you're going to be okay. Now listen. I don't act like I did when I was four years old anymore. Anybody knows I love home. I love home. You know what I mean? Like, like I like being at home. Some people are like, let's go out. I'm like, let's stay home. Let's go out to the club. Nah, I'm good. I'll just stay home. It's good, you know? I got four walls that I know, and I'm safe behind those four walls. Right? So that's just me. I, I loved being home in the United States. The Lord knows I had to trust him to move to another country without any brothers, without no mother, and say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. That I would have grown from my four-year-old ways and say, I'm not going unless you go with me. Right? And instead, I say it to the Lord. And I say, I'm only going if you go with me, Lord. Echoing the words of Moses, 
who said, Lord, I'll go if you want me to go, but only if you go with me. See, Barack said it to the wrong person. But the Lord wasn't displeased with that. He just probably thought, Barack, you got to throw up. You got you to throw up. You got to grow up, Captain Lightning. You got to grow up, right? Sometimes the Lord may be sending you to do something in your life. It may not have anything to do with another place, another country, or anything like that, but he may be asking you to trust you, to trust him more in your life. He may be asking you to grow in him. And you might be saying, I don't really know. I don't, nah. He may be asking you to trust you in the darkness that you feel right now, in the darkness of this world that we see right now. He may be asking you to trust him and to have joy and to know that he is good. Are you mature enough to say, I trust you. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I will have joy even though there's sadness in my heart. You know, because sadness and, and let's say like depression or things like that, those are things that, um, that the Lord knows about. They are things, they are real feelings. They are real. Like for, for me to say, no, that doesn't exist, that's crazy. Then, then I haven't read the Bible, right? Wouldn't King David say, Lord, why, soul, why are you so disturbed in me? Right? There are times where we are just disturbed, where we are just not feeling okay. But there's something that King David normally did. Even though he felt down, he chose to look at the Lord. And he would say, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. Hope in the Lord, oh my soul. Hope in the Lord. So even though he felt down, he corrected himself in what was right. And what did Paul tell, tell us? That all things that are noble, that are right, that are good, that are trustworthy, think about these things. That's what helps us in God's word. We read God's word and we see the one who is noble, who is right, who is above all, who is sovereign, and then we read of his promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Guys, honestly, when Jesus died on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the last one to ever be forsaken for us. I cannot say that I've been forsaken by the Lord. I can't say that he walked away from me. I can say I've walked away from him. Maybe not physically but in my heart, right? Sometimes I have my eyes and my mind and my heart set on other things, but this is what I find. If I turn around and repent, the Lord is right there with me. He's been walking right behind me saying, I'm still here. I'm still here. And nowhere in scripture do we read that God is only with you if you feel him with you. God is more than a feeling. He is king of kings and lord of lords. 
Now, when he tells us that he's with us, it is something past feeling. I can feel all alone. I can feel all alone all day. But it does not change that my God has promised and that he is faithful to his promise that he is with you, that he is walking with you, that he actually sees your tears. And in the Bible, it says that he sees your tears and he takes those tears and he bottles them because he cares for you. And there are times where I have cried and I can't even remember why I cried, but he does. And he loves you. And he cares for you. So Barack is Barack's a bit scared or uncertain. Maybe he said to Deborah, maybe he was thinking like, listen, if I'm about to go into war and God sent me, I need to hear from God. And the, the quickest way I can hear from God is instead of uh, kind of cultivating a relationship between me and God is just to have you there, Deborah. So you just keep talking to me. But I would say that's the wrong move, right? Because what's God want? He wants a relationship between you and him. Not between you, him, and me. <laughs> he wants to talk to you. God overall, creator of all things, wants to talk to you. And if you're sitting here today and you think, man, Pastor Dave is just, he just keeps pointing at me. I think he's talking to me. I am talking to you. God wants to talk to you. He wants you to cultivate a relationship according to God's word with you. And with me, right? So Deborah, of course, right? Being the station and status that she has, she turns to Barack and she says, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Put your hope in God. No, right? What does she say? Very well, she replied. I will go with you. But you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Cicero will be at the hands of a woman. Now, when we read this, we normally think she's talking about herself because she's a woman, right? wait until the story pans out. That'll be next week. So if you've liked this chapter, please arrive again next week and we'll keep going on. Same bat time, same bat channel. Um, she wasn't disrespectful to him, right? She just said, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go, Cicero. I mean, I'll go, Barack, and we'll, you know, the Lord will overcome Cicero, but it's not going to be to your honor. You won't be the guy that kills Sisera, the general, the general of oppression. It'll be at a woman's hand. So Barack wasn't going to get the honor of being the guy that killed their oppressor. And I don't care how you feel about this in your Western world view, okay? If you were being oppressed, <laughs> there's nothing you would want more than to get rid of the oppressor. Right? So sometimes we sit there and be like, oh, you know, what, poor Sisera. What did he do? He killing everybody. That's what he did. So sometimes we have this world, this, this world view that's like, oh, this is so bad. You know, they're going out there to kill. Wait until you see how the woman kills Sisera. 
okay? It isn't going to be like, here's a cup of poison. (laughs) It's not going to be like some, he falls asleep and then he passes away peacefully in his sleep. Okay? It's not going to be peaceful. All right. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and one, uh, 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. So next week, we'll keep carrying on in this. I'm going to put my notes away because we are done for this week. And if you, um, if you doubt the Lord today, I would encourage you not to doubt him. If you think that he won't take care of you personally, you're wrong. But you need to cultivate a relationship with him. You need to begin talking to him and walking with him. He wants to care for you. He understands our fears. Remember what I told you, what I I preached on Christmas. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who understands our lives. He understands pain. He understands sorrow. He understands death. He understands, and he is there for us to cry out to. And it tells us, Peter told us, this was a guy that walked with Jesus. He says, listen, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He cares for you. He knows you. He knows you, and he loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us yourself in the word. Lord, we need you. Lord, help us to to trust in you, even through sorrow, to trust you, even through hardship, that we wouldn't be like the Israelites that just say, relieve my pain, relieve my pain, but that we would say, Lord, change me. Make me into who you want me to be that I would glorify you, honor you, and be yours. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.